So, here's the real homework. Any testimonies? What's happening? How is this class transforming you or your sphere of influence? How are you implementing what we've learned? Hey, the first part was just for fun. This is the real homework. Oh, I think uh, like my my career at three, I'm actually one of those people who's my boss. Uh, I have a brand new boss that isn't too fond of me, or I should say, isn't too fond of Christians uh, because of his background of him being gay, which is okay. Um, I don't hate gay people. I believe what the Bible says, but I pray for this guy, I pray for Savior every day, and I actually pray for salvation. And um, and this guy hated me, like he was a micromanager. And uh, as of lately, like he's been good, like he's like lately, the last three months or the last uh, I would two say weeks. Last, uh, last three weeks, like the last three weeks, he's been. So since we started doing this, yeah. since you made the decision to start blessing him, yeah. sweet, all right, give yourself like 10 extra credit points there. That's awesome. That's exactly what we want to see happen. That's beautiful. And the fact that, you know, he hasn't had this amazing conversion, well, amazing conversion experience, that's our religious paradigm. We need to change first. And the fact that you're blessing him, and now he's not micromanaging you. Everybody loves not being micromanaged, right? <laughs> it's actually like opened up to you like about his life, you know, like And now you know your assignment. Love him. Yeah. Love him. Yeah. Wow. Praise God. All right. Wow. One more. Someone else. Okay. He doesn't call me at all, ever. <laughs> so now he called me, and then the other son, uh, when I sent him a scripture, he likes it, and I bless him. And then two other friends who, are, who owe me a lot of money, they haven't paid, but I bless them. And they call me back, they said, I will pay you back. Where's your uh, checking account? Have they paid you yet? Not yet, but it's coming. <laughs> Sweet, love it. Hallelujah, all right, wow. Praise God. Praise God. That's super cool. Anybody else want to share? I said one more. But now that, it, now that the end. Yes! May I stand by you while you share so that it gets recorded for posterity? You may stand, too. You're not on camera. You, you may stand. You may stand. And you're not on camera. We're off camera. See, this is where the mic is. I hope. So something, something different. Well, the prayer of three, I'm continuing to pray for that. I'm seeing a difference in those three people. But another thing that the Lord had, has moved me to do is I've had a really hard situation at work. And um, I've been praying for one of the supervisors there. And um, I used to just keep quiet because she was just so bad and evil. And I just started, you know, one of the days the Lord said, remember the scripture, you know, you bless them and bless them and pray blessings over them. It's going to be like coals over their head. So I started blessing her and blessing her. And yesterday I got the first phone call ever since I worked there of this woman being the nicest person speaking very kindly. I was like, is this the right person? She, she uh, called she, you. She called me and she was, she's never been nice to me. She's never been, 
you know, just, it was like a totally different person called me. I was like shocked. And only God can do that. You know, I was like, oh, that's the prayer. That's the fasting. Hallelujah. Praise yeah. God. Wow. 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 I have a pout home, man. Let me see if I have that video. Do we have internet here? I'm going to share this. I have a testimony um, from Bishop Von McLaughlin uh, about the power of blessing. This really, really touched me. We were filming him a few before the first class, okay? And Bishop Von McLaughlin is a pastor in, um, in Jacksonville, Florida, and, um, and he implements transformation. It's a powerful, incredible uh, uh, church there. Uh, as the church was growing, they're all, you know, converts and things like that. They've started many businesses. Uh, when they needed to buy a building, rather than move out to the suburbs, they bought a dilapidated, rundown mall that, hadn't been, that had been vacant for like 15 years, that it was just, just a dump. And they felt, hey, God's transformed us. Let's transform this. They transformed it. And rather than turning it into a church, they reopened it as a mall to serve the community. And where the old Walmart is, that's where they anchored their, where it was years ago. They, re, they anchored it, uh, they anchored their, their church there. And then they've, they've got a bowling alley. They've got a credit union. They've got, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Community transformation. You're going to read more about Bishop Von McLaughlin in Anointed for Business. Okay, but this story is what really touched me. He was in Jacksonville. He walks down the street and he sees these two big white guys. These two found out later that they're brothers, uh, just kind of camping on the side of the street. And you know, he 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 noticed that they were selling drugs, and he's like, "Oh, let's see what happens." So he pulls over, gets out, and you know, initially they think they're the cops or something. He says, "No, no, 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 don't 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 worry about that." He says. We're, 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 that's not us. And one of the white guys used the N-word on him and said, get away from us. We don't associate with you. N-word. And he's like, man, you don't need to do any of that. I just want to love on you. And he, says, he said, when that happens, I get excited because this is about to go down. God's about to do something amazing. And he says, I just want to love on you. I just want to do something that nobody else is going to do for you. And one of the, you know, they're like defensive. One of them's reaching for their weapon. He says, come on, no need for that, you know. Where are you guys staying? So they show them out to their camp in the woods. And he says, come on, let's pick that up. Gets their stuff up and uh, uh, puts it in his fancy, beautiful car, puts them, stinky as they are, haven't bathed in whatever days, in his car. And he says, one of them is starting to soften, you know, but the other brother is still on the edge. He goes, checks them into a motel, pays for that, uh, lets them get showered, gets them some food. Then he enrolls them in a recovery program. They get enrolled in this recovery program, and he's mentoring with them, you know, in engaging with them throughout. Oh, and he said, he noticed on the side, the, the neck, one of the brothers had Aryan Nation uh, tattooed there, and the other brother had a Confederate flag tattooed on the side of his neck. Okay, so you know what these guys are about in Jacksonville. <laughs> so, um, anyways, they graduate on the graduation day from, um, from their, their rehab program. They didn't know he was going to be there, but he tricked them, and he shows up. And they're, they're just, it's the first time they've ever graduated from anything. 
And they're up there sharing, and they're saying, man, I never had a father. I've been alone. Nobody's ever cared about me. I didn't know anybody cared about me, but there was this one man who embraced me. And, when they, and I wish he was here today to see, I'm, be proud of me and see that I'm graduating. And then he turned the corner, <laughs> and they were just bawling. <laughs> so these two redneck thugs are now just hearts melted tender for Jesus. And every time they see this African-American man, they call him dad. They can't stop but hugging him. They're doing really well. They're turned around. And I think they've got jobs now. Super encouraging. Folks, when I heard that, I was just, I was really moved. I'm like, this is the mess. This is the gospel in action. This is the power of blessing. Blessing takes wolves and turns them into sheep. And this is the message that our nation needs. Amen? Yes, amen. Hallelujah. All right? If you want to share, you have to come up here because I know you're not shy. <laughs> I work at uh, high school, local high school, and um, I work with special needs kids. And one of the it was right lunch. Uh, one of the special needs kids comes up and he goes, fight, fight, fight. Go where? And he goes, right over there. So... I ran over there and there was like this whole ring of guys and they were kind of dressed all kind of gangy and they're all just like saying all kinds of bad words and they're just like really like really heated. And so I ducked underneath them. I got right in the middle. I go, hey guys, what's going on here? And the walkie goes, it's none of your business. I go, I know, I know. It's none of my business, but I can just really feel you guys are really angry. And all of a sudden they just, they didn't know what to do. And I just went, and then I said, well, you're kind of scaring some of our kids. And, and I said, you know, but I want you guys to have a great day. Who needs a hug here? <laughs> wow, wow. Now, who did, how many did you hug? They, they were just like, he does, he does, he does. And then they all just kind of looked at me and they all just kind of sighed. And I just kind of like... All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not leaving. You're not leaving. Uh, this story is just beginning. <laughs> You're going to come back next week. Okay? okay? All right. No, no, no. Uh, so who wants to pray for Santa Teresa High School where she works? After she shares that testimony, <laughs> nobody has faith to pray? I mean, this is like a done deal. I mean, this is going to ignite. You just get to light the match. We've soaked the wood with gasoline already. Thank you, too, for volunteering. Yes, pray for Santa Teresa High. Folks, blessing beats a curse. In the celestial poker game, a hand of blessings always beats a hand of curses. Amen. When we bless, when we come in the opposite spirit, we disarm the enemy. And the chaos he wants to create, he's no longer able to create. Amen? Amen. All right, can we move on? Amen. All right, so I want to overview for the, uh, for, give you an overview for the evening. This is what I want to do. Uh, I want to walk you through the five pivotal paradigms for nation transformation in the first half. And then in the second half, um, and here's my thought when I walk through that, I'm intending to dive in deeper in that in the future. So um, just let me give you a little explanation about my educational style. I think you've all probably noticed that I'm different, okay? Most people are on average male, white males are six feet tall and I'm a little bit taller than average. <laughs> uh, there's two educational approaches. One is linear where you build everything up and another is what's called spiral education. And that is where you touch on everything, and then you go around again, and you go in deeper, and then you go around again, and you go in deeper. Um, two educational thoughts, 
And uh, we homeschooled our kids and we realized that spiral education and that philosophy really uh, worked for us. And that also resonated and gave me a language to explain the way I like to talk and impart stuff. So if I touch on something and come back to it again, it's because scientifically it says you have to hear something seven times before you remember it. Okay, before it, you know, it actually sticks. So if, you're, if, if, you, if you notice I'm repeating something, count how many times, and if I've repeated it twice, come up to me and say, Ted, you need to repeat that five more times. Okay? All right, so um, that's what we want to do the first half. And then the second half is I wanted to continue what we were speaking of yesterday uh, after the break and really talk to you about your identity, fulfilling your identity to be understanding and receiving and being healed and transformed in your understanding of your identity as God's daughter, that he loves you so much to understand that, to be able to fulfill your destiny. So that's what we're going to cover today. All right? Um, and we also have a really, really juicy testimony from my dear friend Mary Rose, who Mary, um, if you're watching, send a, she's watching right now. So Mary is watching online because she lives in Sacramento and she's actually in Denver right now. Mary Rose is awesome and uh, she's praying for us. She's involved with our intercessory network of Transform Our World, and she has a really, really juicy testimony. And since we weren't able to bring her down here, I've got her on TV, video. Okay, so that's what's going to happen second half. Um, and then uh, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to get your feedback right now. As I was putting together what we're going to cover in the... Um, in the, this is our fourth class, so we have four more nights, uh, three more nights, yes, I can do math. Three plus three spiral. equals, what? Spiral. Yes, spiral math. Three plus three, we have three more nights. <laughs> um, um, and I was putting down uh, the subjects I wanted to cover, but I figured I would get some input from you. What do you all want to hear underneath the overall subject of transforming your city? Now, just so you know how this works, you're welcome to give input, but this is a benevolent um, oligarchy, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to process it with Carol and others, and we'll make the decision. But here were the subjects I was, uh, uh, what I first put down, covering the five pivotal paradigms for nation transformation, how to change the spiritual climate, doing the works that Jesus did and even greater works than Jesus, understanding the foundational role of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you and through you to transform a city, transform culture, or the foundational role of intercessory prayer as a lifestyle. Intercession and the intercessory prayer is foundational absolutely imperative if you aspire to be used by God to transform your city, your neighborhood. So, um, those were subjects I was planning to cover, but what's your feedback? Which of those do you like best? What would you want to hear more of? Any input you want to give me now? Speak now or hold your peace until next week? Yes.
What? Two, three, wait, wait, okay, so we have votes, all right? You want, okay, she wants three, four, you want four and five, right? You want four and five, okay. And you want two, three, and four. Four. Here, I better write them down. One, two. On the very end page, turn your notes over. I could write them on the board, but. You can vote now. It's voting day. Three and five. Okay. Three, four, five. Power. Uh, you, there's the, you fill that in in the bottom. Power. Okay. Yes, sir. Well, all of them went together. I can probably cover all of this. Okay, so you're voting for every one. All right, well, I won't mark it down because that'll just... Well, no, I'll mark it down, yeah. Yes, uh, anybody else want to vote? Everybody else is just happy? Great, okay. Let's get going. So, I want to talk about five pivotal paradigms for nation transformation. We have a PowerPoint which is really fun. Now this actually comes out of Ed Savoso's second book, Transformation, which was written after the book you're reading right now. Um, and all of these three books, like I shared, build upon each other, okay? This and Ed's other books that I don't have here. But this really identifies your call into the marketplace. That when you're in the marketplace, the marketplace is the heart of the city, and you're there, you're legit, you're called of God, you're anointed of God, and uh, you have everything you need. All Christians are in full-time ministry, and your labor is, fill in the blank, your labor is? Not in vain. Not in vain. Uh, no. Your labor is worship. Remember that. That'll be good for the pop quiz tomorrow because you're covering that in the next chapters you read. Okay, this came after that and really identifies the, the framework, the paradigms that need to shift in our understanding for us as a body of Christ to be equipped to go out into the marketplace and transform our cities and our nations. Okay? And then... Uh, Ecclesia is his latest book that kind of puts these all together and really dives into the original design of this thing that we now call church that was originally used, the Greek word ecclesia, what Jesus used. He shows the secular origins of it, okay? So that's an overview of the teaching uh, that we're drawing from. So the five pivotal paradigms for nation transformation. Now we call these paradigm shifts because they're not just things that you need to learn. They're like reading glasses. Glasses don't teach you anything new. 
They just enlighten for you to see what you hadn't seen before. Okay? So these are beliefs that we have come to accept probably one way that needs to shift to think another way for us to be equipped to go out there and transform our cities and eventually our nations. Okay? So a paradigm shift is very, very critical for us to see um, what we need to see. So the first paradigm shift, we need to understand that we are called to disciple nations, not just individuals. The Great Commission, Matthew 20, I think the Great Commission is, go therefore and disciple all the nations. Okay? In Mark it says, go therefore and make disciples of all men. But in Matthew it says, uh, go therefore and disciple the nations. And we have traditionally interpreted that as we get the individual aspect of it, which is extremely important. We may need to make disciples of individuals. Okay? But that is not the totality of what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about is go therefore and actually disciple the nation. We need to understand that this is the mission statement of the body of Christ that Jesus is a part of. There's one church. We say one church in the city, many congregations. Okay? So we're part of Gateway. I love Gateway. I, was, I, I loved Sunday. We, you know... I, I get refreshed here. I love the, the effect that the Gateway's youth ministry is having upon my son, and I love the mentoring. But Gateway is part of the church in the Bay Area. Many congregations, one church. Jesus Christ is the head. And our destiny, our mandate, is not just to reach individuals. It's to reach the whole city. It's to reach and to disciple the whole nation. Does that make any sense? You guys agree with me, right? I mean, David Kenneth Tracy teaches us, right? This is embedded into us. Okay. We need to understand that this is a foundational uh, uh, piece that even if we don't fully understand the implications, we need to understand that this is our destiny and this is our calling. You are a nation reacher. You are called, you are designed by that. You are designed to do that. And we need to ask God for the nations. He will give them to us as our inheritance. Okay? Pivotal paradigm number two. The marketplace, which is the heart of the nation, has already been redeemed, and now it needs to be reclaimed. What does this mean? Let's go to Luke 19.10. It says, the Son of Man, it's right there on the screen, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, why is this a paradigm shift? When we think of, first of all, what was lost in the garden? The fall of man, right? First of all, our relationship with the Father. That was the first thing that was lost. But what else was lost? Our relationship with one another. Why Adam and Eve, now the relationship is broken, and now she's subjugated to him, there's pain there, and then next generation, Cain and Abel, murder. Our relationship with one another, okay? What else was lost in the garden? Our relationship with creation, our relationship with the marketplace, okay? Thorns, uh, the sweat of your brow, all of that came 
after this thing, after th this break, after this fall. So many times we think and we understand, okay, you know, if you're screwed up, if you're a sinner, come get saved. Jesus will save you. All right? Particularly in Gateway, particularly here, we believe that the same blood that saved you is going to transform your marriage, is going to transform your family. You come to me and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray with faith. But many times, we don't have the same faith if a businessman comes to me and says, or comes to us, comes to the church and says, you know, my business is struggling. Okay, we'll pray once and say, oh, well, you know, we prayed for you. Maybe the Lord wants you to move on. But we need to really understand that the same Jesus that died for us died for the marketplace. And everything that was lost in the garden, Jesus restored. He came to restore all that was lost. Everything that was lost in the garden. So in addition to, not only did he restore our relationship with God, praise God, that's the foundation. But he also, that same blood is what's going to transform your relationship with one another. We're experiencing it already, right? Right? We're praying, we're blessing, and how many shared about testimonies in their own families being restored? Jesus died to restore your relationships one with another, and we receive it the same way we receive salvation, by grace, through faith. He did it all. Now extrapolate forward. Your relationship with the marketplace and with the city has already been transformed. It's already been redeemed. We just need to reclaim it. Folks, this really, really spoke to me, particularly in when, I, you know, working here for 22 years in the Bay Area, and when we were working, you know, I mean, San Jose is tough enough. It's really hard, and it used to be really, really hard in the city of San Francisco. And I used to think, you know, I'd, I had faith for revival, and I used to think, yeah, but when revival comes, San Francisco is probably going to cease to exist. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but that was where I was at until the Lord really began to dial this into me and gave me a faith and a heart for the city. And then he began to show me redemptive metaphors, like King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. King David had a gift of mercy, but King David also had some weaknesses, didn't he? He was a violent man. He had a problem with his temper. And also he was a philanderer, you know, serial adulterer. And the Lord showed me San Francisco has a gift of mercy. It's a city of refuge. And it has the same weaknesses <laughs> and it hasn't been redeemed yet as King David had. But then as the Lord just began to dive deeper and deeper and to realize I was broken, I was lost, and that blood saved me. How did I get saved? He came and he found me. And he transformed me, right? How many of you feel like the day that you got saved, it's like, oh, wow, finally. I've been living my life for 18 years. Finally, Jesus remembered me and thought about me. It didn't seem like that at all, right? It seemed like, wow, he chased after me and finally caught me. And I finally stopped resisting me, but he's been seeking after me my whole life, right? And how many of you know, I mean, I know that it was by grace we have been saved. I exercised faith, but it wasn't my faith that was, had the power. It was the person I chose to believe in. We know it, right? We've been transformed, and it's Jesus who saved us. Folks, 
we need to have that same faith for our city. The same faith for the secular portions of the city. The same faith for the government. Man, if you voted, and now news is going on, wow, this is like big problems, right? This is depressing. We're all fighting. <laughs> Whatever side you're on, you're not happy, right? Can we believe that Jesus already died for our government? That he already redeemed it? That it hasn't been transformed yet, but it's been redeemed. We just need to reclaim it. Jesus already died for all of those institutions. He already died for the city. He has a vision for the city. Jesus had a vision for you of who you were meant to be long before you began to walk in it. God has a vision and a heart and a passion for our nations, for our cities. And we need to understand that Jesus already died to redeem everything that's out there. Yes, sir, you have a question. Oh, specifically Luke 19.10. I want to bring out the point that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. It doesn't say those who were lost. See, this, this paradigm, this understanding, this framework that wasn't necessarily, well, it was articulated, but what I grew up in, for example, was that we're going to get saved and basically... Try not to let the world lose your salvation. We didn't believe you could lose your salvation, but try to, you know, try to not get corrupted so you finish well. The world's going to go to hell in a handbasket. Try to rescue as many as you can, but there's nothing we can do. An overall hopelessness about the general overview of the world. And I'm saying that when Jesus came and died, the same blood that was shed to redeem you, that was re to redeem me, the same hope that we have for the worst sinners, we, it's that same blood that died to redeem all of creation. And that Jesus came to undo that which was lost, not just the individuals, all that was lost in the garden. Our relationship with God was restored, our relationship with one another was restored, and our relationship with creation was restored. Okay, does that answer your question? Yes. Next. Every Christian is a minister, and labor is worship. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Folks, this is really, really cool. Okay? And let me tell you when I really began to understand this. This is the heart of anointed for business. Understanding that our labor is worship and that we can be anointed by God to go out there and do what previously was called secular work. Okay? So, how many of you have been filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay. Was it, for me, it was night and day. Right? Was it night and day for you? It was a big change. I remember working in Portugal when I was cutting my teeth as a new missionary, planning a church in Lisbon where nobody cared to hear the gospel. And I was working with this old Presbyterian church. The average age was like 75. <laughs> and they had, you know, there's this bunch of, old, bitter, 
old people, and the neighborhood had changed around them dramatically since they had been there. And now this upper-class neighborhood was dealing with every, you know, drug addiction on the streets. And in fact, at that time, it was epidemic. Portugal, really sad story, going through an uh, through a, through a epidemic that makes our opioid crisis look mild. Very, very sad. Um, it's turned around, though, by now. Praise God. Um, so I'm working with drug addicts on the street, and I remember I'm sitting there, and like all this stuff I've learned, it's like I have so much to offer them. It was so cool. But it's like it takes so long to counsel them, and it's like you just don't have enough time to tell them everything they need to know without, you know, in between them being pulled back into the world. And then I get anointed with the Holy Spirit, and it's like I go in there to do the same thing. It's like I was working the same way, only it felt like there was this filing cabinet. And the Lord would go through the filing cabinet of all that had been imparted to me. And just, and he'd focus on this one thing, bring out this file, and talk about this. And I'd talk about this, and boom, it would hit the spot. And they'd be touched, and they'd be weeping, and then I'd pray, and I'd begin to feel his spirit. It's just night and day difference, where before I felt like I was trying to hack down a tree with a dull axe. It's like, here, let me take that axe away, and let me give you a, uh, you know, a chainsaw. Okay? That's how it was for me. You guys have a similar experience? Right? Okay? The Holy Spirit's awesome, right? And the anointing's awesome. So now I know that what I need most of all when I minister to someone is the anointing. Okay? Now, cross this over. God wants to anoint you to do all of your work. Not just what we think of as the religious work. There is no divide between sacred and secular. He wants to anoint us to do everything we did. The same way that Joseph had dreams, right? He had dreams. And the Lord told him how to minister to Pharaoh. He anointed him how to minister to Pharaoh. The way Daniel was anointed to minister in these secular environments, the Lord wants to anoint us to go out and, folks, now your work gets really, really fun. What are you doing? Tell me, tell me, tell me somebody, somebody tell me their, their, their field. So, God wants to anoint you to do that. And I think that he's the greatest service writer ever. He understands the purpose, and he wants to anoint you. And whatever you're doing, he wants to, 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 make, to anoint it to be a prophetic act, to go far beyond whatever you can do in the natural. Amen? All right. Next paradigm, number four. We are called to take the kingdom of God to where the kingdom of darkness is still entrenched so that Jesus can build his church. Okay? So the passage behind this comes from Matthew 16, 18, and 19. When Jesus said to Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not empower, overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So the picture is, Jesus is sending us out and he's given us a power over the gates of hell. Okay? So in a practical sense, how does this shift the way we thought? Okay, I grew up in a Christian school. I'm not against Christian education. I believe in Christian education. Um, I believe there's a place in that. I believe in private schools, which was what our school was. 
But I also believe in public schools. And I also, well, I obviously believe in homeschooling because that's what we do, okay? So I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the mentality that we had underneath it, okay? We, back then, wanted to have a Christian school because we didn't like the direction of the public schools. So we wanted to create an environment that was Christian, but it's, our mentality is very much like a Christian ghetto. Let's build up walls to keep them out. Now, the problem with that is it doesn't work. And you can't build the walls high enough. And we have this survival mentality. And the mentality we always had was, you know, we're Christians, but we're the persecuted minority, and the hordes are coming over the walls, and let's pray that the walls don't break down. And I literally used to hear this, and I used to think, there's something wrong with that, because the reality is, is Satan is at the gates, and we're holding him off and trying to keep him out. But God is telling us something entirely different. He's saying, no, you are on the offensive. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Satan is held in a fortress. We are coming against the powers of darkness. And we're going to get out there and we're going to change the world. The practical implication is, where are the gates of hell in your, in your city? Tell me, where are the gates of hell in your city? Oh, you're all thinking spiritual right now. You're thinking, oh, spiritual nappy. No. What? Poverty homelessness. Yeah. Where were the gates of hell at uh, Santa Teresa that one day? The youth about to fight. Wow. Our schools. The pain in our schools. The challenges. Where's hell in your city? Oh, uh, Bishop Von McLaughlin. Oh, man. Okay, I'm quoting Bishop, so don't get mad at me. He has this beautiful message. He's going to write a book. And it is, the title of the book is, Church, I Need You to Go to Hell. <laughs> God is telling the church, go to hell. <laughs> Where's hell? The brokenness. The people out there. The public schools that are broken. The homeless on the streets. The nights. You know, the girls walking on the, on the streets at night. We are called to go there and to bring the kingdom of God. Because Satan has gates. And they're big gates and they're scary gates. But you know what? He doesn't have keys to them. Because Jesus stole back the keys. And who has the keys? We have the keys. So we go in with the keys. She had a key. She came in there with the Word of God and a little bit of simple, you know, childlike blessing. She slipped in between that group and she spoke blessing. And this big problem. This big fight just evaporated because of this little key of blessing, speaking peace, smiling, and a prophetic word that didn't seem like a prophetic word, but who needs hugs? <laughs> just defuse the whole situation. Wow, because she's anointed, and the gates of hell at Santa Teresa High will not prevail against Amy because she has the keys of the kingdom. Our mentality needs to shift. All right, you're all already with me. You guys don't have a retreat mentality. Right? Nobody has a retreat mentality here. But be filled with faith. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against us. Okay? Paradigm number five. Nation transformation must be tangible. And the premier social indicator is the elimination of systemic poverty. Wow. How many of you understand that? N nobody understands. Okay. Few of you understand it, okay? Uh, it's not my desire right now to open all to answer all of your questions about this, but I want to bring out the word systemic, okay? Well, two things. First of all, 
the premier social indicator. Okay? What I'm believing for in the Bay Area is for masses to be saved. Okay? In fact, I believe the time is coming where we're going to see an overflow of salvations. Individuals being converted. Okay? But that's not the totality of it. And that may be the premier spiritual indicator. But the premier social indicator, and they both need to go together, is when we actually change the system. Okay? Let me tell you the premier example I had of this. Uh, well, one of the premiers. When I went down to Argentina, we got to see the transformation that was taking place in the prison system in Argentina. And in the prison where it had started out, um, it started out with no believers, and then there was like four of them. By the time we had visited, this began in the late 80s. I first went there in like 96. By the time I went there, the church was, I think, about 800 members, 800 to 1,000 out of 3,000. Uh, I got to visit there about twice a year until 2008. Um, the last time I was there, out of the 3,000 inmates, 1,800 of them were born again. This, in this prison, um, it was a hub, so they turned over the population, they turned over a third of the population every uh, year. So every three years, it's like a whole new prison. So every time an inmate who was part of the church was transferred, they would lay hands on them, and they decided it was God's will to send them out as missionaries. So they laid hands on them and commissioned the inmates as they got transferred to start works in other prisons. Because of that, it was estimated at one point that 40% of the inmate population in the province of Buenos Aires, which is, uh, I think, two-thirds of the entire population of Argentina, was born again, were born-again believers. When we went, when we recorded a documentary, it's on YouTube, you can watch it. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We take you inside the prison there. When we recorded a documentary, we interviewed the warden. The warden, when this work started, was an adamant anti-Christian, <laughs> anti-evangelical. Um, by this time, he was a born-again, spirit-filled, adamant believer because of the example and the testimony of the inmates. But he went on record saying that as far as he knew, he was not aware. Now, this is the warden of the prison, which was the main hub of the entire province of Buenos Aires. So he's working directly below the president's cabinet on this. Okay, so this is not just a warden of one. This is a guy who would know and have access to all of, all of the knowledge. And he said he was not aware of a single inmate who had been part of the church who had ever returned on a repeat offense. Now, in the documentary, we wanted to play it safe, so we said less than 2%. Okay? That is the premier indicator of what I'm talking about. They didn't just reach a few inmates. They changed the system. So that the best thing that could happen to you in Argentina, if you're a, you know, messed up on drugs, HIV positive, uncontrollable, have an out of control violent temper, or, you know, the best thing that could happen to you is you'd be caught by the cops and you'd be sentenced and sent to prison. Because it was possible to go to hell from almost prison, but it was really, really hard. 
You had to say no to Jesus repeatedly every single day for your entire term. And most inmates were not able to make it. (laughs) They made it to heaven. Hallelujah. That's what I'm talking about. And I believe that examples like that, and I went on, listen to the first class. If if those of you are watching this on either camera, uh, I go on and on of stories about this about examples of transformation where the entire system has been changed. So what I believe the Lord wants to do, and that's the premier indicator that nation transformation has happened. I believe that that is not a pie-in-the-sky goal. I believe that's what Jesus died for. I believe that when Jesus says, go and disciple nations, that's what he means, change the system. I believe the Lord wants to make it really, really hard to go to hell from the Bay Area. We can't, we can't save anybody. They have to make their own decision. But the same way you can tempt people to evil, and you know women, if you want to tempt somebody, you can make it really, really hard for them not to give in. Right? We can tempt people. We can change the spiritual climate and tempt them to righteousness. We can change the system. And that's what we're going for. And that is the standard. That's what Jesus died for. Amen? So those are the five pivotal paradigms for nation transformation. Um, Here's more scriptures. You can follow this in your notes. The Son of God appeared for this, that He might destroy all the works of the devil. He wants to destroy all the works of the devil. Folks, I believe we are so privileged in our generation not only in our generation, but the place that we're located. God has sovereignly chose you here. When you read the book of Hebrews, and it says, you know, it goes through the long list of the, 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 the heroes of the faith. What's it say at the end? They didn't attain to what they were seeking after. They attained all of this, but they were still looking for something greater. But God had allowed them to do that because the greater was what we have now. I mean, I'm not quoting it exactly, but that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. That they were looking for something that was after the cross. Folks, we have the privilege of living in that. What is this going to look like? I believe that we're going to sit down one day, two, we're going to be talking. I say, remember when there used to be poverty in the Bay Area? Remember when there used to be homelessness? Wow, remember when there used to be so much violence in our nation. We were tearing ourselves apart. Remember the homelessness, how bad it was. It was was bad in South San Jose. Broke your heart. Those were dark days. Oh, you go to Oakland, it was even worse. Have you driven down Martin Luther King Boulevard in Oakland? It's like tent city. Homelessness, tent village after tent village, oh, under each overpass, just camped out. It's epidemic. And we're going to be talking about that and say, wow, those were bad. That was tough. Remember when people used to kill themselves? Remember when people used to be so depressed they had no hope? Wow, those were dark days. Praise God, those are behind us. And when did it all change? It changed when Jesus showed up. It changed when He came. Does that mean, I'm not saying we don't have Jesus now. We have Jesus now. But subscribe to the theology of more. Yeah. 
However much you have, there's more. Amen? There's more. His tangible presence here upon us. Signs, wonders, and miracles. Entire families, entire tribes being saved. Can a nation be saved in a day? Yes. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Hallelujah. All right. Here we go. I already covered that. Let me pray. Let's take a break and come back. Five. Is a five-minute break long enough? There's no food here now to distract you, okay? Uh, at 10 after, I'll give you seven minutes. At 10 after, we'll come back. All right? Why don't you all stand up? Stretch your arms. Put your hands up. The Jews like to pray with their hands up. We're a charismatic church. We can pray with our hands up. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, transform our thinking. Lord, take away the old paradigms. Just lay your hands on your head right now and say, Lord, take away my old paradigms and replace them with your truths. This is possible. This can be done. And you want to use me. Amen. Amen. Uh, first of all, somebody shared something. I want to clarify something I said and ask forgiveness if I need to. When I was talking about changing the spiritual climate, I was, was talking about uh, temp I was talking about changing the system and temp trying to use a metaphor of tempting people to righteousness. And I compared that to something negative, and I used I singled out women. Okay, um, I apologize for that. Of course, women can tempt people, but so can guys. So uh, you know, I can't make you sin, but if I were to go out there and steal your Harley, um, that'd be big temptation to curse me, right? So I can't make you curse me, but I can tempt you, okay? That's what I was trying to say, and I didn't mean to, I didn't want to single, I mean, we're all sinners, okay? And I'm the chief of sinners, all right? So if I offended anybody, can you forgive me? And do you understand what I was saying? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Why specifically the use of the word tempt? Because in James 1.13 says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. I was using that to compare it to, you, to what, when we change the spiritual climate, it makes it, we change the system. So, um, like if you grow up in uh, a home without a father, okay, and you're deeply traumatized and beaten and abused as a child, and then you get into the, the, the foster care system and you're passed around and all you know is abuse, you're, and then you get caught for a crime and thrown into a prison, and then in the prison you're hanging out with older guys that are lifetime criminals who are then influencing you and are abusing you. It's going to be really hard for you to live, uh, to overcome all that and live a productive life. Okay, that's what I. That was the environment I was talking about, and I'm saying that. Now let's turn that around for the positive. God wants to come with such a powerful way that he makes it very, very hard not to get involved into his kingdom and that we can change the system. Um, I 
I mean, I chose to use the word tempt just to try to make a word picture so people might understand. If you get caught up by the word picture, then feel free to put your own words there and look at the concept I was trying to communicate. Does that help? I mean, I'm listening, I, you know. What I was trying to do is paint a negative picture and show you this is how things are that we don't even necessarily notice, okay? We look at someone and we call them a monster. We call them a predator. But do we know their story? Do we know the pain that they've walked in? Do we know that if we had walked in, the, this is actually a very good setup for what's going to happen next. Do we know that if we had walked there, we would have done any better, okay? And I'm saying this person was set up. This person, you know, so often, you know, we have this paradigm. I don't know if you guys have it, but I was raised in this paradigm. If someone's homeless, they're lazy. Do we know their story? That's not really very accurate, actually. It's just, just not accurate. Someone's in prison is because they're a thug and they deserve it. You know? So they're in prison. They did a crime. What do you expect? And we don't really know their story. And we don't know what's really going on. And what I'm saying is, one, we need to get to know their story. And what I'm saying is, we can change all that. I believe we can change all that. Right now, I believe we have a system of systemic poverty, a, not just a corrupted, broken system out there that is producing the results it's producing. And I believe the call of the body of Christ is to go out there and to change all that. Does that make sense? That's the heart I'm trying to communicate. So please don't get caught up on words. You know, I, if I mean... I'd love to talk with you further. I, don't, I want to communicate in a way that gets my message across. Okay? And I used a metaphor to get people's attention, and it worked in that sense. I got your all's attention. Okay? But don't get hung up on that. What I'm talking about is people who we often label as evil, do we really know their hearts? And are we seeing the level of challenges around them? temptation around them, pain and brokenness that lead them a certain way. Do we see that? And do we have compassion for that? Okay? But I want to go beyond just having compassion. Compassion is foundation. Compassion is important. But compassion didn't save us. Raising from the dead, dying on the cross, it's power that saved us. Amen? Amen. And Jesus' compassion and His power went together and that's what I want to see connect. Uh, compassion our hearts open and broken, but filled with power to make a difference. Any further questions? This is great. Sure, go ahead. Hey, no holds barred. Ask me any question, okay? It's just a like an You know, there is an antidote against any negativity. It's just like, you know, when people are in this position, we probably need to... Ways. Amen! <laughs> exactly! We have the anecdote to every situation. And what we say, our words create a reality. And you're creating a reality by your own brokenness and your humility and your love and your blessing and saying, I don't know any better at my work. And I'm going to bless and just love. I don't know. We'll just see what happens.
wow, you could create the opposite reality by speaking negative things, by being judgmental, by being proudful, by being filled with the law, the law without grace. Another question? Um, not just a question, I just kind of wanted to give a small testimony since you, I mean, that just hit right home. I work in a level four maximum security prison with psychiatric patients, and the majority of the coworkers that are not Christian, they see them as what you said. Oh, they're thugs, they're doing this, they deserve to be here. And just a small little testimony. Um, we met with this particular inmate who was suicidal, who was equity, and he did something very good that day. And I took the time in front of all these people, and I told him, you know what? I'm very proud of you. I'm very proud of you for what you did. Um, I commend you. You know, that takes a lot of courage to do this. You know, he started crying because he's never heard someone tell him that they were proud of him. He's never had a life. He's never had the family. He's never had the structure. Basically, he's never had a chance. So, yes, how are they not going to go that way? So, God has changed my heart completely to, to be there for them, to give them that encouraging word. Yes, they're murderers. Yes, they're rapists. Yes, they're the worst of the worst. But the way God came to save me, He came to save them. Yep. And the Apostle Paul was a terrorist, a mass murderer. King David was a murderer. King David was an adulterer who covered up his adultery by not just murdering, but betraying. I mean, he was a warrior. He sent his top commando out in front of the field and betrayed everything they stand for by saying, now pull back and leave them there all alone. The one thing you never, ever do. He, that was David. Moses. Do we really want to go and understand I'm no better than them? Wow. I want to thank you so much for having the courage to ask that question and to speak out. I don't know if I answered it or not, but I'm glad we're having this discussion. Yes. Uh, you know, I heard Laura just make a testimony, so I would like to do another one very close to her, even though I don't work in the same work at her, but, uh, but I think a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, we were invited to a church in San Francisco called Second Chance Life, Friday night service, and we were, when I went there, I didn't know much about what is this second chance. So when we went there, we found out that the majority of the people in that church are ex-murderers, armed robberies, you're talking about people that serving life sentence in San Quentin, and they were they, they they got already released. So the pastor there, you know, introduced to us. So I'm shaking hand with them, but you know, I didn't know I didn't notice that what they were. I just know what they are now. I mean, they were they were very beautiful people. They were so nice, but they just want a second chance. That they say that nobody in society like them. Only one, the only love they have is from the church. That that's it. If they walk out of the church, they, they were looked at, you know, so nobody care about them. So when I, so I just told them that, you know, well, I do, 
I mean, I told them, you know, I, I love you and I, I don't really care about your past. I don't know anything about your, you know, when you were in San Quentin or whatever, but, you know, I'm your friend now, you know. So that was like, uh, uh, they were very, uh, you know, like, um, very, you know, um, violent criminals from San Quentin that somehow they got released into, the, uh, into that church. That church took them out. Amen. Praise God. Wow. And they said, um, even they know that Jesus that's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. When we can reconcile between, you know, the rich and the poor, when we really understand slaves and free, men and women, when we're really one in Christ and come together, and not just unity. I mean, so often we think of unity in a shallow way. Let's all get together and work together. And I think the Lord is actually trying to say a lot deeper and go to your hearts. Can we be reconciled so that we're no longer male and female? We're no longer black or white. You know, I shared that example of Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin, an African-American pastor who don't think he has been exempt because of his wealth, and, or not wealth, I mean his success, from the pain of prejudice and racism. Don't think that that's not real for him. To be able to go to these guys that are filled with hatred and anger and just punks and wanting to beat them up and not responding in the same spirit but showing them love and blessing, that is when the power of God is really released. We saw um, a tremendous breakthrough, tremendous. I think I told you on uh, the first class about Juarez, Mexico. Juarez was the murder capital of the um, world in 2010. I believe it began in late 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. Um, there was a cartel war that just escalated and got totally, totally out of hand, just, just horrible. Um, on a bad day, 40, 40 people would be killed. On a good night, just a dozen. Um, this is in a city of 300,000. Imagine driving to uh, your kid to school one day and in the main overpass of the city, as you're driving them to school, there's 10 corpses that have been beheaded and hung there by the cartel just to say, we're in charge. This is what happens to those who mess with us. That was what was happening in Juarez. That was what my friend Pancho Morguilla was living through. Okay? They began to pray and seek the Lord. And he had been seeking the Lord before that. He had been ministering in the prison before that. He had gone to Argentina and been to the same prison I was, and it rocked his world. So he went back and he started to work in the prison. He had no background in prison ministry, and the Lord had done an incredible, incredible thing to totally transform their prison. But then, as he was filled with hope that it'd get better, it got worse. So they were sticking it out. He was enduring it through it all. And then the Lord spoke to him as we were praying in San Jose. We were praying in San Jose, just down the street, in our offices on Camden and Almaden Express Day, Expressway. Camden and Trinidad, right there. That's our office building. We were there, and this was late 2012. And... He had been sharing this and sharing his commitment and saying, you know, well-meaning friends had told him to leave the city to take care of his children and his family. And he said he was committed. His family was committed. They were praying every day and God was intervening. 
And uh, his daughters had been carjacked twice. Normally when they carjack you, it's just easy. At that time, it was just easier just to kill you. They wouldn't even bother. They'd just shoot you, take the car. Both times, not only were they protected, but God intervened and they got the car back. But he had well-meaning friends that said, Poncho, get out of the city. And in fact, out of the 3,000 inhabitants, 100,000 of them left. And uh, it was everybody who could left, leave, left. And uh, a three, uh, I believe a third of the businesses shut down. 80%, 90% of the businesses that were left were paying extortion money. That's how much in control. And he's saying, in the midst of this, we're praying and our friend looking him in the eyes and saying, yes, you're going back. And yes, you have commitment. And yes, you have compassion. But there's something more you need. You need power. You need a word from the Lord. And as we were praying in San Jose, just down the street from here, the Lord spoke to us and said, it's just a small group of us. But I'm saying, when I want to say the Lord spoke to us, it wasn't like a lightning came down and an angel appeared visibly. Although I think that probably actually happened. But all it felt like at the time was when you pray and you feel the Lord moving. And he said, the violence in your city is not the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. The problem is that your city is an orphan. But you aren't an orphan. You've been adopted. I've adopted you. Go back and change that. So he did. He went back. We were praying for him. We mobilized our network to pray for him. And he went back to a high place over the city. This happened in, I believe, late 2012. And he prayed over the city. He and another man, uh, his friend, um, um, from Thailand, uh, Brian Burton, who's also part of our network. And he said, Juarez, you're not an orphan anymore because Jesus has adopted you. Didn't rail against the principalities, although I'm not against spiritual warfare and railing against principalities if the Lord anoints you and leads you to do that. But that wasn't what was happening there. And he just felt something change. Then he tells the journey. It was, a long, it was a long story from that. But they had to continue to walk that out. Three months later, about three months later, but every, all the intercessors said something's changed. There's hope. Hope in the Spirit. Because we have hope. And we own the city, and the city is vouched for. And Satan can't touch it because the body of Christ has chosen its place. And it's all by grace. We're not walking it out yet. We haven't changed. But we are choosing it. And they felt something change spiritually. Three months later, they, he was with the mayor. And because they were willing to help, and the mayor was desperate, he said, you, these problems are beyond human, human solution. And the mayor says, I know. And he says, but Jesus has a solution. And Jesus wants to be the mayor. You need to, as the mayor, he's put you in for this purpose. You need to invite Jesus into the city. I don't think the mayor understood all of that and what it meant, but he was desperate and he was a man of faith, of character, who stood there, who was helping, who was sharing the word of the Lord, and, and he did that. And he invited Jesus. He said, Jesus, you be mayor, because I can't handle this. We've tried everything. They spent millions and millions of dollars. They sent the federales there to take over the city. That didn't help. They sent in the, they sent in the, the, the National Guard, to, to the military, to occupy the city, and nothing changed. They tried everything. He did that. They started praying. The Lord sent in a God-fearing, he didn't profess to be an evangelical, but a God-fearing police chief 
came in, first thing he does, he says, we turned it around in, uh, in Tijuana. It's going to turn around here, but I need you pastors to pray for me. If you pray for me, this will succeed. God will protect me. We're going to have zero tolerance. We're going to come against it. There's not going to be any more corrupt, corrupt cops, and we're going to stand against all the, the mafia. But if you don't pray for me, I'm a dead man. Pray for me. Poncho said, this guy's not a believer. I need more unbelievers like that in my church. <laughs> They pray for him. Sure enough, shortly after that, he's in a car with his assistant, one police car. One car stops him off. Another one blocks him in. They come out with AK-47s, automatic weapons. They're shooting at him. He's got his pistol. His partner's got his, his, he's got his pistol. Bang, bang, brrr, bang, bang, bang. After a while, they, hundreds of bullets in the cars. They, something happens. They drive off. He looks around. Neither of them have a scratch on them. More miracles happened. There's a documentary that's on YouTube and on our website. You can watch it all. But the real powerful breakthrough came shortly after that. Dr. Ed Silvoso, the authors of these, of these books, My Spiritual Father, Pancho Murguia's Spiritual Father, um, not in a weird way, but as in somebody who I've walked with for a very long time, who mentors me, who cares about me. Um, uh, he went to the city. And, and he went there to minister, you know, when there's like armed security guards everywhere you go, uh, and you have to do that. Um, and he's sharing, and he meets with Poncho, and he says, you've adopted this group, you've adopted that group, you've, there's one group that you haven't adopted yet, and that's the Sicarios. This is the hitmen. And nobody really knows who they are, because they don't wear a sign around it. Um, many of them are Teenagers, young people, shot up with drugs, uh, just living in torment. They come and they choose them, they select them, and say, go kill these people. And they go out and do that. They go back, just... And he says, God loves them too. Do you need to adopt them also? Now, how do you do that? And Pancho knew it was the word of the Lord, but he says, give me a little time. <laughs> I've got to look in the eyes of my congregation. He had a congregation of about 500. I need to look them in the eyes, many of them who are widows, many of them who are orphans because of the cicadios, and say, you need to adopt them. Okay. So he does that. He knew it was, and they jump into it. So a week later, he gets a phone call. So they're adopting them. They don't know who they are, but they're blessing them. They're regularly praying for the Sakaros and saying, Lord, bless them. They're not orphans. Bless them. Heal them. Save them. And he gets a call from this guy who we'll call Angel. And he says, hey, remember how we adopted the Sakarios? He says, yeah, well, we got our first one. What do you mean? <laughs> well, let me tell you the story. Um, you know, I got saved. He had gotten saved many years ago in, when he was on, doing a drug charge in, um, in uh, 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 serving a sentence for a drug charge in prison in the U.S., okay? When he had gotten saved, the Lord spoke to him and says, I want you to go find, speak to the meanest guy in this prison and tell him about me. And he's like, okay. So it took him a while. He got beat up a few times, but he got to talk to the meanest guy in the prison. He shared Jesus, and this guy got saved. And so they grew up together, finished their term, and he discipled them, and they both graduated from prison and were sent back to Mexico. He went to Juarez, Angel went to Juarez, and went to Poncho's church. The other guy went back to his city and backslid. Okay? 
So Angel hadn't seen him in years. He knew where he was uh, in the city, but he didn't know how to reach him. When they adopted him, the Lord spoke to him and says, I need you to go see my son, and I have a word for you. I want you to tell him I love him, and I want him to come home. So he drives up to the city with fear and trembling, praying in the spirit because he knows how things work. And he knows the cartel own everything in this city. And they have their scouts, and they control everything that goes in and comes out. So he knows the guy on the street, on the side of the street, when he drives into the city, is one of these scouts. So he's, all right, I'm going to talk to the first person I get there. And God, you better be with me, because otherwise I'm dead. So he pulls over, talks to this guy, and says, I have a message for Manuel. And he says, what is it? And he tells him. He says, God loves him, and he's his child, and he wants him to come home. He goes, he's my brother. I'll take you to him. He needs to hear that message. He says, but just be warned, if he doesn't recognize you, you're a dead man. <laughs> so he takes him to the secret house, does the secret knock, and he says, hey, there's this guy who says he knew you from prison. And so he comes in and, and he recognizes him. So Manuel recognizes Angel. And he says, what are you here for? And so he shares the message. He shares the word. He says, and he says, you came here, he was touched. He says, you came here to tell me that? And he goes, yeah, God loves you. He wants you to come home. You risked your life to tell me that? He goes, yeah, let me pray for you. And he says, okay, but not here. What was going on and he, is he had gotten promoted and now he oversaw like eight other cicadios and they were in a planning session to plan their next series. You know, they controlled a portion of the, the border and they were going to plan their next series of hits. He says, I don't want to, I don't want to do it here. So they walk two blocks away and he lays hands on him to start praying. And that moment that he lays hands on him to start praying for him, two cars from two death squads from the rival cartel pull up in front of this house, break down the door and machine gun everybody in there. And he just breaks down. He says, Jesus, you love me. You love me. You love me. You saved me. You saved me once. You saved me in prison. And now you've saved me again. Wow. Wow. Folks, that's just the beginning of the story. Now he's in the cartel. There's no way to get out. The only way you get out is you go to prison or you die. So he goes back to his leader and hands him his machine gun pointing towards him. And he says, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. And he says, don't make me do this. You're a good soldier. I like you. I don't want to kill you. He says, no, I, I can't do this anymore. I have to be out. He says, what happened? So he tells the whole story. And he's touched. And he says, so you're going to go preach that gospel. He says, okay, I'm going to make an exception. As long as you preach that gospel, I'll let you out. But if I find out you're no longer preaching that gospel, I will hunt you down and kill you and all your family. <laughs> so Pancho said he's going to appoint that guy as to be you know, his new member's orientation. So he gets out of the cartel. So then, this had all happened in the course of the week, and so now Angel has this disciple, and he's meeting with Poncho, and he says, Poncho's like, hallelujah, praise God, he says, and he wants to come to our church. Oh, now it gets really, really hard, because this hits where it hurts, because he knows what he's supposed to do, but he also knows the challenges, because you have to see at that time, there had been several high-profile events. A soccer team, high school soccer team, had just finished 
won the championship and they're having a party in a private home. A cartel goes in, they want one guy in there, they don't care what the collateral damage is. Uh, a groom had been shot dead on his wedding day on the steps of the, the, of the, of the church because um, uh, they were after one of his groomsmen. Nobody knows. They don't care about the collateral damage. He said he immediately saw the news, the, the, the headlines. Stupid pastor allows somebody into his church. <laughs> and that's him. And he's like, Whew. and he wrestled with the Lord. And he says, and the Lord's told him, that my church closes the doors to nobody, to no man. And he goes, did I close the door to you when you came? And he goes, no, but I wasn't so bad. And as soon as he said that, the Lord said, really? Were you really not so bad? And he says the depth of the revelation of his own brokenness that happened. And then he went through. And so then he says, okay, give me one week because I want to prepare the congregation. So it's a member of, it's a church of 500, so you would be an anonymous in there. And he goes, the next day he goes to the church, the next Sunday he goes to the church and he tells them what has happened. And he says, then he drops the bomb and he wants to come to church. And he wants to come to this church. And he's going to be here next week and none of you will know who he is. Not even my wife knows. I'm the only one and angel. He could be sitting behind you. And this is what the Lord told me. The church of Jesus Christ shows its doors to nobody. And he's welcome here. And you know the risk we're taking. You know what could happen. And if any of you don't have faith for that, that's fine. If you want to go to another church, that's fine. I know every pastor in the city. I will personally introduce you. I will bless you. I will send you off. Feel released. Said so the next Sunday, he literally expected half of the congregation or more. He didn't think anybody would be back. And guess how many people left his church because of that? None of them did. So powerful. Within 90, within that year, within about nine months, the violent crime in the city had dropped 90%. It normalized. The last I heard the statistic, for three run months running, they had no more kidnappings. They had eliminated kidnapping. The city has been totally transformed. The economy has rebounded. If you go read the news at the time, at the height of the drug war, the world uh, of this cartel violence, the world was really frightened. This was capturing the attention of the whole world, CNN articles, the way 9-11 captured it. It's like this is an escalating uh, drug war, and it's backed by essentially unlimited resources. These guys have the money to buy whatever they want. And it's fueled by insatiable uh, consumption. And a quarter of this is passing through one city. It's completely hopeless. And it's not only hopeless to stop it, it's going to spread. Because they envision the cartels fighting all over. This is what they were writing. And now they write about, you know how beautiful it turned around. And they talk about the police policies, which are all beautiful, which were, were part of it, were very, very key part of it. But, you know... What they don't say is no city has ever in the history, I mean, he spoke with Mayor Giuliani and New York City experienced a turnaround, very, very, very hopeful turnaround. But he said, that took us 10 years. How did it ever happen in nine months, 18 months? 
It's never happened before. And now, uh, like in 2014, 15, flying, Ed is flying to Juarez, and there's this full-page ad in the newspaper magazine saying, Juarez, a beautiful tourist attraction, the place for your next convention. It's like crazy. This is what God can do. Okay? So I shared that story, one, to inspire you of what can happen and to say the power what happens when these former cicadios and the mayors were praying together. They, Ed Savosa went down there and taught on prayer evangelism, taught on changing the city, told them that they can change systemic poverty. Uh, he does not use that metaphor that I use, that I'm probably, well... I don't know. That word opened you guys up to something. So I don't know. Uh, but he has never, he's not used that metaphor. That was mine. Okay. Um, but he was teaching on the same stuff. And they had this former Sicadios in the room. And more and more got saved. Pancho was joking. He said, we're going to start Sicadios for Jesus. So many of them are getting saved. Beautiful, beautiful things that are happening. And they had leaders, they had the, the officials, I think the mayor was there, and they all stood together and they prayed together for the peace of their city. Wow. Now, not only is Watt as a model for law enforcement and for transformation, they initiated a program there that, said that, that is to combat corruption and paying of bribes, and that is spreading throughout the whole city. They now have an open door with the president, meeting with the president, basically at his blessing to roll this program out, which they call How to Thrive Without Bribes, but is really a biblically-based discipleship program. It's anointed for business, but without biblical references, just the principles put there. And they have an invitation to disciple the, basically the entire civil service uh, uh, realm of the nation of Mexico. That's what can happen and folks, I don't believe that's just an outlier story, although that's super exceptional. I believe the Lord wants to do that here in the Bay Area and even more. And in fact, if you want to really know my heart, when I'm talking about, you know how, I mean, I've been in, 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 in San Jose for 22 years. We never saw homeless when we first moved up here. Not here, downtown, a little bit downtown. When you went to San Francisco, oh, man, it hit you. Boom. Now it's here. If you think it's bad here, though, go to Oakland on a prayer drive. And this is real. Drive down Martin, uh, uh, Martin Luther King Boulevard. We had an outreach there. And they told me at the tent city under the overpass on Martin. And I thought, great. I, my phone had gone dead. I didn't know where to go. I go, fine. I mean, a tent city. I mean, how hard is it going to be to find them? My heart was broken. Tent city after tent city. Oh, no, it's not this overpass. Oh, it's not this overpass. Oh, I drove past it. Oh, it's not this overpass. Till I finally found it. If you look back to Juarez, a quarter of the drugs were being moved through the city. And you go back to 2008, 2009, everything looked great. Everything looked great on the surface, but there's this desperate need underneath. Folks, I pray that we don't have to go through what Wadas went through. But believe me, persecution and hard times like Wadas went through is not the catalyst for revival. 
It's not the catalyst for transformation. The catalyst for transformation is Jesus' death and His resurrection. And that's activated by our faith. We are the catalyst. You don't have to go through that. You can get, lay hold of the burden in intercession. And we can become the answer. But I pray that we can have the eyes of faith to look beyond what's happening on the surface and beyond being stuck in this cycle of blaming and pointing the finger at others and get deeper and saying, I need to change and I need to be the answer and I need to intercede and I need to be aware of the times. I need to see what's underneath and to know that the body of Christ, us, we are the peacemakers and we're the only hope for our nation. Amen? Wow. You guys enjoying this so far? Okay. um, I think I need to preface this a little. I have a testimony that's pretty inspiring, but this is real. Um, I have Mary Rose's permission. I mean, she recorded this. She's sharing this. She's all right with it being streamed. We're going to take the stream down and cut this part out, though afterwards so uh, stay tuned but we're not ready to go fully public with this yet Um, this is the real deal okay so i just shared with you a macrocosm now i want to show you a microcosm of this It's, it's similar testimonies to what you're sharing but this is i mean she shares pretty this is raw and she's honest about what happens are we all cool with this okay this is my friend mary rose who's part of our intercessory group. She's right, uh, watching this right now. Teo, is she on? Mary Rose, we love you. Pray really hard. And now, I welcome you to address the whole group. Hi, my name is Mary Rose, and I'm here uh, to share with you something that God's done in my life. It's been a, mac- a miracle um, in many ways, and I am sharing this with you because at the end of it, I want to give you an anointing for what God has given me. So the story is this. I came... Um, from a, a marriage that I was married for 23 years to into a family that had a lot of sexual deviance. And it was a very difficult time and, um, and it was hard. My niece, who was uh, the child of one of these people who had uh, perpetrated sexual things against me, called me last week and said, my daddy is, please auntie, my daddy is in uh, ICU and he can't breathe and he's on a vent. And, and um, for the last <clears throat> several days, every time they try to take him off, he has these you know, tremors and he trembles and he has these uh, seizures and, Auntie, please, what do I do? And, and I haven't seen her for years, but uh, she needed a mom and her and her mom are, are estranged. And so she, God just had her to call me and I'm grateful that he did. So she called me, we talked on the phone for over an hour and, and she cried and she was hysterical and she's hysterical over even in the room to see him in that condition. And so she said, Auntie, Auntie, you know, what do I do? What do I do? So um, all the time she did this, since she was telling this to me, I was having this inner conversation because this, she's asking me to, you know, to really bless this man who who'd caused a, a lot of pain uh, for me in my life. And at the end of it, I just said, you know, honey, this is what I want you to do. Go and take uh, some scriptures, some healing scriptures, and, and just pray them over your dad, just say them over your dad, and she didn't know how to do that. So um, she you know, just went on her phone and she found some scriptures. I prayed for her, released her to the room, 
She went up to the room and she prayed for her dad. These scriptures, she said them over her dad for about an hour. And all this time that was going on, I was having this, uh, you know, I wanted so much for her not to suffer and to see her dad suffer this way. So <clears throat> I went to bed that night and, uh, and I was sleeping soundly and I felt the word of the Lord tell me to, uh, just said these words, he said, release him. And I said, what? What do you know? What? And they're like, what? Release him. I, you know, I've, God, I've released him. I've, I've forgiven him. I've been through counseling for him. I've, I've um, been for deliverance over this painful stuff. I've been, you know, I've broken soul ties with him. What do you mean release him? He's released. And he said, release him. And again, it was like, release him. And I had this thing like, what? What are you talking about? He says, release him. Like this strong God voice that, well, for me, it's his strong God voice because he's usually pretty gentle with me. So. I said, I release you, I release him, I release him. I, I said it several times. I don't even know exactly how many times, but I, then it was, I release you, and then I release it, and then it's just, I release, I release, I release, and it was just coming out. And the more that came out, I could just feel this, um, the that something was leaving me, but God was so wonderful to impart into me the joy of my salvation. I remember feeling the same way it just when that was happening, the same way that I did when I first accepted Christ, just that new joy, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of me, and the power that came with it, and the healing that happened in my soul, and just, the, I want to just say, the overjoy and the power was the thing that happened the most. So I went to, got up, I uh, drank some water, I went back to bed, I fell asleep, and the next day I got a phone call from my niece and she was just sobbing and crying and she could I could barely understand what she was saying but she was telling me that um, early in the morning they were able to take him off the vent that he was not only able to breathe on his own you know breath is life and his body his body had uh, shut down uh, was healed I mean was all healed you know but he was able to breathe now so in his breath you know he was able to talk to his daughter and he was able to move again on his own and she says, Auntie, Auntie, this is what happened. I prayed, I did these things, and, and this is what happened. And I said, well, honey, God healed him. God healed him. God is the one who did this. You prayed those healing prayers, and you were an obedient daughter, and God healed him. And she's not, um, she hasn't yet professed Jesus as her Lord and Savior, but she's getting closer, and this was part of it. Um, but since that time of that impartation into me, the joy of the Lord has been increased inside of me the power to pray has been increased inside of me the ability to see what really happened and what really happened was that i was able to partake in a new way with jesus christ on the cross the suffering for forgiveness and partaking that forgiveness at a much deeper level uh it's something i've never experienced i've been a christian for 38 years and i had never experienced anything like this before and I've walked with him for 38 years. And so this was just God's new wine being poured out. So I just want to impart into you this release. And I, I, I don't know all of what it is yet because it's so new. But I want you to feel freedom and to restore, be restored and to have the joy of the Lord be your strength. And so right now in the name of Jesus, I just impart to everyone who hears this, including the cameraman, that he would just have a new impartation of your release God you released us when you released us when Jesus his finished work on the cross released us from our sin and released us from our illness released us from everything and so I just pray that same release over you right now those who are hearing it that it would be more than just forgiveness more than just 
a, a mental ascent, but that the release would come deep from within our very being. Lord, as the Holy Spirit just comes in and just releases us and releases us and releases those that we've held on to. My identity is new. I pray that your identity is new too. I am no longer a victim and he is no longer a perpetrator. It is released in Jesus' name. So in that place, I am now, my identity is completely and totally found in Jesus Christ. I am the king's daughter. I am completely made whole in him. So I just bless you with all of this and I say, have your way, Lord, in all that here, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If that touched a chord with anybody, um, I can give you Mary's number, and she'd love to hear from you and pray for you. Um, uh, any questions? Any? That's powerful. Wow, just think of the struggle she was in. But she released. And uh, because she released, the power of Jesus was able to flow. And also realize this is someone who'd walked with the Lord, you know. She'd, she'd been, received much, much healing. She'd been in a very healing environment here. But folks, there's more. There's more of Jesus. There's more power than we've let, yet laid hold of. And with that, there's a greater revelation of what Jesus did on the cross. What he did, what he did for us on the cross. And if we want to go higher, we've got to go lower. And really let him mess us up with the power of the gospel. It is a tragedy. It's a tragedy, the human suffering. You know, I shared a picture of it, you know, about driving down Martin Luther King Boulevard. But I'll tell you another place you can drive and see suffering people all around you, Los Gatos. Broken, broken people who have all the money in the world and are just empty, empty, hopeless. So, why don't you stand up, open your hands like this. Lord, this is just overwhelming for me, Lord, and I'm so honored to have a friend like Mary Rose and an intercessor, someone I'm leading, Lord. Father, I'm so honored to be friends with Pancho Morguilla and to be able to walk with him and play a little role of praying and watching it, Lord. Father, I'm honored to be able to be given the privilege to stand in front, Lord, and to share a bit of my experiences. But Lord, we just come before you. We're your people, Lord. We're called by your name. Lord, make us one, Lord. And I just pray you take out our hearts of stone. Lord, I don't think anybody in this room has a heart of stone. Lord, they're here, Lord. But God, when you wanted to balance the scales, and it was time to balance the scales, you chose to scoop out the most righteous one and say, I'm going to punish you the most. Jesus, your ways are not our ways. And Lord, you don't want to punish us, Lord. You want us to impart something to us. 
a compassion, a brokenness, an intercession. Lord, he who has much, even more will be given. Lord, you want to go deeper and reveal, Lord. And I thank you that we don't have to die. Jesus died for us. We only have to take up our cross. We, only, we get to die to ourselves. And we get to follow you. Each day, we get joy, joy unspeakable. Oh, Lord God. Lord, give us a deeper revelation of your love for us. Lord, give us a deeper compassion. And give us greater faith to see your works manifest, Lord. Lord, in Jesus' name, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you all. If you're watching this on the live stream and this touched you, feel free to comment. Uh, and if you want ministry, if you want prayer, we would love to pray with you. Leave it in the comments and we'll pray for you. Or, or, or instant message me. <laughs>